Chapter 26 of The Deluge, Volume 2. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Jeff Evans, Minneapolis, Minnesota. The Deluge, Volume 2, by Henrik Sienkiewicz, translated by Jeremiah Curtin, 1835-1906. Chapter 26. It is easy to imagine Sapieha's amazement when Kamita not only returned safely himself, but brought with him a number of tens of horsemen and his old servant. Kamita had to tell the hetman and Oskerko twice what had happened and how it had happened. They listened with curiosity, clapping their hands frequently and seizing their heads. Learn from this, said the hetman, that whoso carries vengeance too far from him it often slips away like a bird through the fingers. Prince Bogoslav wanted to have Poles as witnesses of your shame and sufferings so as to disgrace you the more, and he carried the matter too far. But do not boast of this, for it was the ordinance of God which gave you victory. Though, in my way, I will tell you one thing. He's a devil, but you too are a devil. The prince did ill to insult you. I will not leave him behind in vengeance, and God grant that I shall not overdo it. Leave vengeance altogether, as Christ did, though with one word he might have destroyed the Jews. Kamita said nothing, and there was no time for discussion. There was not even time for rest. He was mortally wearied, and still he had determined to go that night to his Tartars, who were posted in the forests and on the roads in the rear of Bogoslav's army. But people of that period slept soundly on horseback. Pan Andrei simply gave command then to saddle a fresh horse, promising himself to slumber sweetly on the road. When he was mounting, Soroka came to him and stood straight as in service. "'Your grace,' said he, "'what have you to say, old man? I have come to ask when I am to start. For what place?' "'For Taurogi.' Kamita laughed. "'You will not go to Taurogi. You will go with me.' "'At command,' answered the sergeant, striving not to show his delight. They rode on together, for they had to go around by forests so as not to fall into Bogoslav's hands.' But Kamita and Soroka slept a hundredfold and came to the Tartars without any accident. Akpa Ulan presented himself at once before Babinich and gave him a report of his activity. Pan Andrei was satisfied. Every bridge had been burned, the dams were cut, that was not all. The water of springtime had overflowed, changing the fields, meadows, and roads in the lower places into muddy quagmires. Bogoslav had no choice but to fight to conquer or perish. It was impossible for him to think of retreat. Very well, said Kamita. He has good cavalry, but heavy. He will not have use for it in the mud of today. Then he turned to Abka Ulan. You have grown poor, said he, striking him on the stomach with his fist, but after the battle you will fill your paunch with the prince's ducats. God has created the enemy so that men of battle might have someone to plunder, said the Tartar with seriousness. But Bogoslav's cavalry stands in front of you. There are some hundreds of good horses, and yesterday a regiment of infantry came and entrenched itself. But could they not be enticed to the field? They will not come out. But turn them, leave them in the rear, and go to Yanov. They occupy the road. Then you must think of something. Kamita began to stroke his forelock with his hand. Have you tried to steal up to them? How far will they follow you out? A furlong, two, not farther. Then we must think of something, repeated Kamita. 
but that night they thought of nothing. Next morning, however, Kamita went with the Tartars toward the camp lying between Suhoval and Yanov, and discovered that Akba Ulan had exaggerated, saying that the infantry was entrenched on that side, for they had little ditches, nothing more. It was possible to make a protracted defense from them, especially against Tartars, who did not go readily to the attack of such places. But it was impossible for men in them to think of enduring any kind of siege. If I had infantry, thought Kmita, I would go into fire. But it was difficult even to dream of bringing infantry, for first, Sapye himself had not very many. Second, there was no time to bring them. Kamita approached so closely that Bogoslav's infantry opened fire on him, but he did not care. He rode among the bullets and examined, looked around, and the Tartars, though less enduring of fire, had to keep pace with him. Then cavalry rushed out and undertook to flank him. He retreated about three thousand yards and turned again, but they had ridden back toward the trenches. In vain did the Tartars let off a cloud of arrows after them. Only one man fell from his horse, and that one, his comrades saved, carried in. Kamita, on returning, instead of riding straight to Sohova, reached toward the west and came to the Kamionka. This swampy river had overflowed widely, for that year the springtime was wonderfully abundant in water. Kamita looked at the river, threw a number of broken branches into it so as to measure the speed of the current, and said to Ulan, We will go around their flank and strike them in the rear. Horses cannot swim against the current. It goes slowly. They'll swim. The water is almost standing. The horses will be chilled, and the men cannot endure it. It is cold yet. Oh, the men will swim holding their horses' tails. That's your tartar way. The men will grow stiff. They will get warm under fire. Kismet, fate. Before it had grown dark in the world, Kamita had ordered them to cut bunches of willows, dry reeds, and rushes, and tie them to the sides of the horses. Then the first star appeared. He sent about eight hundred horses into the water, and they began to swim. He swam himself at the head of them, but soon he saw that they were advancing so slowly that in two days they would not swim past the trenches. Then he ordered them to swim to the other bank. That was a dangerous undertaking. The other bank was steep and swampy. The horses, though light, sank in it to their bellies. But Kamita's men pushed forward, though slowly and saving one another, while advancing a couple of furlongs. The stars indicated midnight. Then from the south came to them echoes of distant fighting. The battle has begun, shouted Kamita. We shall drown, answered Akba Ulan. After me! The Tartars knew not what to do, when on a sudden they saw that Kamita's horses issued from the mud, evidently finding firm footing. In fact, a bench of sand had begun. On top of it there was water to the horse's breast, but underfoot was solid ground. They went therefore more swiftly. On the left distant fires were gleaming. Those are trenches, said Kamita quietly. Let us avoid them, go around. After a while they had really passed the trenches. Then they turned to the left and put their horses into the river again, so as to land beyond the trenches. More than a hundred horses were swamped at the shore, but almost all the men came out. Kamita ordered those who had lost their beasts to sit behind other horsemen, and they moved toward the trenches. First, he left volunteers with the order not to disturb the trenches till he should have gone around them to the rear. When he was approaching, he heard shots, at first a few, then more frequent. It is well, said he, Sapieha is attacking, and he moved on. 
In the darkness was visible only a multitude of heads jumping with the movement of the horses. Sabres did not rattle, armor did not sound. The Tartars and volunteers knew how to move in silence like wolves. From the side of Yanov, the firing became more and more vigorous. It was evident that Sopieha was moving along the whole line. But on the trenches toward which Kmita was advancing, shouts were heard also. A number of piles of wood were burning near them, casting around a strong light. By this light, Pan Andrei saw infantry firing rarely. More occupied in looking in front of the field, where cavalry was fighting with volunteers. They saw him, too, from the trenches, but instead of firing, they greeted the advancing body with a loud shout. The soldiers thought that Bogoslav had sent them reinforcements. But when barely a hundred yards separated the approaching body from the trenches, the infantry began to move about unquietly. An increasing number of soldiers, shading their eyes with their hands, were looking to see what kind of people were coming. When fifty yards distant, a fearful howl tore the air, and Kamita's force rushed like a storm, took in the infantry, surrounded them like a ring, and that whole mass of men began to move convulsively. You would have said that a gigantic serpent was stifling a chosen victim. On this crowd, piercing shouts were heard, Allah! Herr Jesus! Mein Gott! Behind the trenches, new shouts went up, for the volunteers, though in weaker numbers, recognizing that Pan Babinich was in the trenches, pressed on the cavalry with fury. Meanwhile, the sky, which had been cloudy for some time, as is common in spring, poured down a heavy, unexpected rain. The blazing fires were put out, and the battle went on in darkness. But the battle did not last long. Attacked on a sudden, Bogoslav's infantry went under the knife. The cavalry, in which were many Poles, laid down their arms. The foreigners, namely one hundred dragoons, were cut to pieces. When the moon came out again from behind the clouds, it lighted only crowds of Tartars finishing the wounded and taking plunder. But neither did that last long. The piercing sound of a pipe was heard. Tartars and volunteers as one man sprang to their horses. After me, cried Kamita, and he led them like a whirlwind to Yanov. A quarter of an hour later, the ill-fated place was set on fire at four corners, and in an hour, one sea of flame was spread as widely as Yanov extended. Above the conflagration, pillars of the fiery sparks were flying toward the ruddy sky. Thus did Kamita let the hetman know that he had taken the rear of Bogoslav's army. He himself, like an executioner, red from the blood of men, marshaled his Tartars amid the fire so as to lead them on farther. They were already in line and extending into column when suddenly on a field as bright as, as in day from the fire he saw before him a division of the elector's gigantic cavalry. A knight led them, distinguishable from afar, for he wore silver-plate armor and sat on a white horse. Bogoslav! bellowed Kamita, with an unearthly voice, and rushed forward with his whole Tartar column. They approached one another like two waves driven by two winds. A considerable space divided them. The horses on both sides reached their greatest speed and went with the ears down like hounds, almost sweeping the earth with their bellies. On one side, large men with shining breastplates and sabers held erect in their right hands, on the other a black swarm of Tartars. At last they struck in a long line on the clear field, but then something terrible took place. The Tartar swarm fell as grain bent by a whirlwind. The gigantic men rode over it and flew farther, as if the men and the horses had the power of thunderbolts and the wings of a storm. Some of the Tartars sprang up and began to pursue. 
It was possible to ride over the wild men, but impossible to kill them at once. So more and more of them hastened after the fleeing cavalry. Lariats began to whistle in the air. But at the head of the retreating cavalry, the rider on the white horse ran ever in the first rank, and among the pursuers was not Kamita. Only in the gray dawn did the Tartars begin to return, and almost every man had a horseman on his lariat. Soon they found Kamita and carried him in unconsciousness to Pansapieha. The hetman himself took a seat at Kamita's bedside. About midday, Pan Andre opened his eyes. Whereas Bogoslav were his first words. Cut to pieces. God gave him fortune at first, then he came out of the birch groves and in the open field fell on the infantry of Pan Oskierko. There he lost men and victory. I do not know whether he led away even five hundred men, for your Tartars caught a good number of them. But he himself escaped. Kamita was silent a while and said, I cannot measure with him yet. He struck me with a double-handed sword on the head and knocked me down with my horse. My morion was of trusty steel and did not let the sword through, but I fainted. You should hang up that morion in a church. I will pursue him even to the end of the world, said Kamita. To this the hetman answered, See what news I have received today after the battle. Kamita read aloud the following words. The king of Sweden has moved from Elblong. He is marching to Zamost, thence to Lvov against Jan Kazimir. Come, your worthiness, with all your forces to save king and country, for I cannot hold out alone. Charnyetsky. A moment of silence. Will you go with us, or will you go with the Tartars to Tarogi? Kamita closed his eyes. He remembered the words of Father Kordetsky, what Volodyovsky had told him of Panyan, and said, Let private affairs wait. I will meet the enemy at the side of the country. The hetman pressed Pan Andrei's head. You are a brother to me, said he, and because I am old, receive my blessing. End of chapter 26